0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, good morning. I send you greetings, or I don't send you, I bring you greetings from Hong Kong and um, our church there, City Church International. And they've been praying for this conference. They've been praying for our time in South Africa. And um, it's just been such an amazing time. Stephen, Janet, and the team here, thank you for hosting that evangelism uh, conference. It's, um, if you weren't here, you've got to get those CDs. It will transform your life and how you relate and reach out to people who don't yet know Jesus. So that's a little plug for that. But it's a great um, pleasure for us to be here. And just to see you again and to be back in this church and to be back in Africa, we miss South Africa, we miss the people, and um, we love you very much. And I can just sense that there is a hunger in this place. Um, The worship this morning was just so uh, God-focused, as it should be, (laughs) but just the presence of God was in this place, and just the Father heart of God, and what how he relates to you, and how he loves you. And, um, you know, today, actually, in Australia is Father's Day. So we are Afro-Aussie Asians. So let's just wish Rob happy Father's Day. Woo! <laughs> 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 anyway, thank you. And we
1: look forward to this morning. Good morning. It's always so wonderful to be at Highway. And uh, it's, again, just... a. Uh, A pleasure and a privilege to be here and be with so many friends, so many friends in this house and it's always a a friendly environment to come here and uh, the weekend was amazing. I was was overwhelmed by the, the amount of people that turned out to hear the whole subject on recovering and restoring and developing a biblical culture of evangelism that really works and I really believe that this church is well positioned and you're going to see Many, 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 multiple hundreds of people in the next number of years get radically converted to Christ and come into this whole new creation experience and walk with God. Can you say amen? amen. This place was really, really alive. You know, Glenda and I left South Africa 28 years ago. And uh, it's, it's, I remember when I left, I wrote a whole song. And the middle verse of three verses went something like this. I've run through your valleys and I've stood on your heights. And I've walked in your forests and I've touched your soul. And your sounds and your smells and your rhythms I know so well. And and, and the elephant and the rhino, long may you roam in freedom and your ancient dignity. Oh, South Africa, you're the land of my birth. I love your peoples, your mountains and your plains. I'm leaving your borders, but my heart, it still remains. Why don't you please just stand for a moment. Let's lift our hands and let's just cry out to God for more and more of His glory to cover this land, this wonderful, beautiful land. It's, there's a condensed destiny of divine intent and assignment on the land of South Africa. And no one's going to kidnap this land or hold it hostage to an illegitimate agenda. God has an assignment and a divine administration A favor for South Africa, beloved beloved land, full of beloved people. Father, let's just, just pray in the Spirit if you can just for a moment. Father, we lift our hands as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you the prayers of the righteous avail much. And so we fervently continue to add our voices and mingle our faith with the millions that are crying out for the land of South Africa. That, Father, your grace and your glory and your righteousness and your justice and your mercy, Father, will cover this land. That in your kindness and in goodness, Lord, you will expose corruption and bring it out in the open. Not just for spitefulness, because you're not a spiteful God. But for the sake of redemption. That money that's been stolen or things that have been badly used. Or hidden ways that man has used or woman have used. Lord, let it come out Lord let the righteous let those that are godly and full of integrity and humility rise up in this hour and hold their ground and never be bought by any kind of bribe Lord let there be a supernatural glory a holy people a holy nation of believers rising up and shining with bright light Father the rainbow nation Lord the multicolors of the spectrum of your glory and your promise and your grace that you will not bring judgments that are destructive that Father you will bring redemptive solutions to South Africa, that we prophesy and decree in the glory over this glorious land, that men and women by the millions over the years will come to this land to see how our land has survived so many crises and come to the brink so often. And yet, Lord, in the sweeping moves of revival, in the divine demonstrations of your glory, there shall be answers and solutions. There shall be repositioning and realignment and recalibration into glory, Father, and righteousness exalts south africa so that it becomes a spectacle to the nations to come and analyze how could a nation with so many challenges rise up to new levels of prosperity rise up to new levels of blessing multiplication of wealth divine order Godly government, Father. Godly government, Father. Municipalities that operate. Humility and repentance from the past. That we leave anything ugly from the past behind. We do not regurgitate it and remind ourselves of it over and over again. But we move on for not everything in the past was bad. We take the good things from the past into the future. We leave the negative and brutal and bad things behind. But we go forward. Father, because to anything about the past of South Africa so we will not go into the future looking into our rear view mirror because we'll crash if we're looking into the rear view mirror we forget some of the former things we look forward to the glory of the future things we declare a new South Africa we repent of all the negative things and we rejoice in your redemptive things in Jesus name Amen stay standing just for a moment I have a little while to preach, which is enough time. Um, there's so many preliminaries and things I'd like to talk about. But be, there's so much that I've said at Blastel, at, uh, uh, to, to leaders in Johannesburg, numbers of groups of leaders here in Natal. A number of things from leaders around the world. I've said them. They've been recorded. I really do encourage people to listen, especially to Friday night and Saturday yesterday, on restoring a biblical culture of evangelism that really works. And I showed that 120 years ago, the church drifted away from using the right means to introduce people to grace. You cannot bring people into grace until they truly are convicted to the core of their being by the just, holy, and righteous requirements of the law of God interpreted by the perfection of its severity and righteousness. The law can never make anyone righteous. But it it, it silences our mouths and holds every man and every woman to account and makes us conscious of sin until our whole fraudulent self-righteousness and arrogance is absolutely destroyed by the law. And when people are shaken with that kind of conviction, then we offer them the wonder of Jesus the sacrifice was greater than the judgment. You get redeemed from the curse of the law. Stand perfectly righteous before your Father. No fear of disapproval or condemnation ever again. But men and women have to be cut to the heart first. They have to see their defiance and their rebellion against the Holy God. And then they know why you need the gospel of grace. Amen. Now, I can't explain three teachings in two minutes. But I promise you, once you see it, you will see how we've drifted from 120 years ago. If we don't know the condition of a fallen human being, we don't know what Paul describes in Acts 26. No, it wasn't Paul. Jesus spoke to Paul that every person who is not born again, Jesus tells Paul, they need to have their eyes open, they are blinded, they need to be set free from darkness and from the power of Satan. Three things. And then he says, in order that they receive Forgiveness for their sins. There's three things that have to happen before people can receive forgiveness from their sins. Their eyes have to be open to the dangerous condition they're in. That they have not seen how guilty they are before God under the law. Their eyes have to be open. Darkness has to be removed. And the path of Satan broken off them. That's all. The, that's what Jesus said to Paul after the cross. So it's very clear that they were not in Christ. They were in a condition of death, darkness. Spiritual blindness, and he says they and they were under the power of Satan, and he says they need to be set free from that in order that they can receive forgiveness from sins. If you've got to receive something, it means you haven't got it. So the cross gave it all to us already, we were all saved at the cross, but we're in a condition of death. And first, Adam, we are self righteous, we think we're all going to go to heaven, but when the law comes, it silences our mouths and holds us account before a holy God, it shows that no righteousness will be by the law, but by the law is consciousness of sin. And that's, you see, can anyone get saved if they don't repent? Okay. Can anyone truly repent with integrity until they're convicted of their sin? No. So there has to be the integrity of the law doing its work as the schoolmaster put in charge to lead us to Christ. If we don't understand the condition that human beings are in, we will use the wrong means to bring them to Christ. We will use bait that doesn't have a hook in it. It says, just come to Jesus and your life will be so happy. Come to Jesus, you'll have peace. Come to Jesus and He'll bless you and take all your problems away. Friends, that's not what Jesus died for. He died to save us from the righteous, righteous judgment that we were facing. He rescued us from an integrity of a holy judgment that was on its way. And you come into the kingdom with that. I am saved from judgment and I step into salvation. And therefore, as a Christian, I have to go through very difficult times. I go through betrayals, all of us. We go through difficulties, the hardships, all kinds of things. But if our hearts were not prepared by the law to see our condition and our need of grace, then hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil... It receives and believes the word of salvation, but it's not regenerated by the rebirth. So when the difficulties of life come, hardships, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, they fall away because they were never born again. It was a counterfeit fraudulent conversion. But those with good soil, they receive the word of salvation, and for the rest of their life, never backsliding again, they produce 30 Sixty and a hundredfold free. So are the ones with good soil just lucky? No. The law is the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It says those with good soil, it's because they had gained understanding. What did they gain understanding? I am a blooming bad sinner. I've been a naughty boy. I have been an absolute rebel against the holy God of eternity. I've accused him of injustice and said, how How dare you send anyone to hell? How dare we, the human race, have become the jury. We put God in the docks. And when we ask Him, how can a God of love send anyone to hell? It's not a question. It's an accusation. Made out of the corrupted wisdom of fallen man. God is holy and just. And there's only one person on the planet. And forever, from beginning to end, only one person who's been unjustly treated. And His name is Jesus because he was innocent. And he took all of our sins. He was punished and punished and punished and punished and punished and punished. And punished and punished. until there was no punishment left to punish. And he was still alive. Because the sacrifice was greater than the judgment. He said, it is finished. He still wasn't dead. Then he said, into your hands, Father. I commend my spirit. Sacrifice was greater than the judgment. It was, when, a, when a sinner's heart is prepared by the schoolmaster of the law, and all the hard attitudes and the thorns and the wrong belief systems about God are removed by the schoolmaster of the law, leading them to get ready to come to faith in Christ. When anybody on the planet can have the right condition of soil, if the schoolmaster of the law teaches them, you need to be born again you need salvation not just for a little bit of peace in your life not for a happy life because let me tell you once you become a believer you're in a world that is contrary and against you and you will suffer persecution hardships and difficulties the law prepares the heart to receive the seed so when hardships and difficulties come the rebirth new creation realities in your heart full of the spirit of god Every truly born again man and woman will never backslide. Never. It's impossible to be made alive in Christ, regenerated by the power of the gospel, to ever backslide. You might get a little bit cold and you might wander away and you might be disappointed for a while, but the new nature will always gravitate you back to your heavenly Father. So I proclaim there are thousands and millions of counterfeit conversions all over the world sucking up the resources of the church and the energy of the church is being distracted. But if we come back to understanding before we show lost people the wonder and the glory of the gospel of grace, we must first show their heart because they're in a condition of lostness and blindness and darkness under the influence of a hostile being called Satan. And they're completely oblivious about the danger of... Of their state before a holy God who will judge them and sentence them for eternal punishment. According to dozens of scriptures all over the New Testament. Once they see that the perfect court of heaven will investigate every part of their life. And once they realize that they undone it. Their mouths are silenced and they say, Jesus I bow myself I confess you as Lord. I'm not coming for me and my party and my happiness and my ease. I'm coming to honor the king of kings and the magic. I am sorry, Father, for my blatant rebellion against you. I confess you as Lord. They are born again to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. They never backslide. So I encourage you, even if you question what I'm saying now, that's your freedom. But there was the majority of this church today, here, was was here yesterday and Friday night. And we went through Scripture meticulously. Not emotional stories, we use Scripture. And I encourage you to read it. Because when you do, you'll realize something changed 120 years ago. And produced an inadequate means, a false means to lead people to Christ. And the church has paid a high price for the last years. Only about 5% to 10% converts from, from the last 100 years are still in church a year later. But 120 years ago, over 80% stayed faithful, serving in the house for the rest of their life. And don't say because they had a more culturally favorable society back then. The society back then was darker than the society today. There were far more universalists back then. And there, when Charles Darwin's writing made people so afraid of believing in God. And there was such hatred against Christianity that so many pastors were in unbelief and the pews were full of unbelief. And then great voices began to rise and rightly divide the word of truth and prepare the hot soil of the lost people to receive the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And 80% stayed faithful, serving and part of churches to the end of their life. Today... It's 5 to 10% of converts. The wrong means is used. A lot of baits thrown out, but no hook in the bait to actually convict people of their need of salvation. So just lift your voices, lift your hands again. And I encourage you to listen to those teachings. They will open your eyes. These revelations, it's taken me 40 years to prepare what I preach Friday and Saturday. I knew this 40 years ago. And I've seen hundreds, I've seen multiple thousands of converts wherever we go, around the world, and the majority are still serving God today. Father, I thank you that heaven and hell, eternal issues are not something for us to play about or be casual about. We want to be a people of integrity, a people that honor your word in its context, who know the scriptures clearly and well. May we be the voices that arise today, That we're speaking and talking in the dark times, more than 120 years ago. May we make a difference in the land of South Africa, which is so Christianized, but so few truly born again. And we declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a clap. Yes, it's lovely to see Juliet Maratja. Where are you, Juliet? Give us a wave. Where is Juliet? She's with the baby. As you know, Juliet was diagnosed with third stage uh, cancer. And, uh, and people prayed all over South Africa. And we heard from Alec and Jackie, our friends we've known now for, I think, 38 years. Um, we were young ones together. And uh, and we, when we got the Yeah, thank you, I'm still young. Forever young, forever young, may you stay forever young. (laughs) But so when we we got the news uh, months ago, and uh, so when Glenda and I said to Alec and Jackie, we'll start praying right now. And so I started praying. I got through half of the first sentence of my prayer, and I heard the inward audible voice of God say, stop. And I looked up at Glenda and I said these words to her. I said, the Lord says, don't pray. The cancer's already been evaporated out of her body. And God did a, a great work there. So our God is a miracle-working God. And He's going to do a miracle by helping me to short preach. Steve said I can finish at half past or quarter two. But uh, that's what we want to do. Um, so I'm going to go straight into this. I believe that Highway Church has been again, positioned for great harvesting time. I believe there's clear progress that's taking place as you're transitioning and realigning and recalibrating and you're relocating yourself for for great things. And uh, I I believe that also a global move of God is coming. Uh, You know, the Bible says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So all $1 500 million Chinese people are going to experience the Holy Spirit come upon them. They're going to experience conviction of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, they, and, uh, and they, you, you all know what that means. So I'm not to, but they, Many are going to come to Christ. The gospel is going to be preached strongly and powerfully. Now, I've been through five revivals in the last 40 years. Theological restorations and moves of the Spirit. And I can tell you that a move of the Spirit... It brings out the best in the church, but it can also expose the worst in the church. And so what I'm running around the world right now emphasizing is how to prepare the church by helping the church to see how we can stay free from confusion. Because the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. If He's not the author of confusion, then confusion is not a good thing. Because He's the author of faith, but He's not the author of confusion. And confusion makes people schizophrenic. It makes people undecided and indecisive. It makes them double-minded. And so we need a people that have strong minds, clarity. We've got to realize what Paul says in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, if we want to have an attitude, hey, to die is gain, then we need to live for Christ. Because to die is gain means, Paul says, I live for Christ. In other words, we need to rehearse our death. We need to be thinking about our death. Not just our retirement to do nothing for 10 years. Because if you're a believer, you're not allowed to do nothing for 10 years. You you retire, but then you've got more more time on your hands to serve God. Amen. Don't underestimate the gray-headed army that's rising up. (laughs) I believe the millennials are going to be one of the greatest generations for Christ up to now. When they get grabbed by this true gospel. But I believe that our baby boomers and our gray-haired boys and girls, we've got a lot to do to show them what it is to live for Christ. So you need to rehearse your death. Think about your death. Plan your death. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? What do you want left on this earth when you go? Because we need to be heroes now to live for generations not yet born. Amen. But if we allow confusion to percolate through our life, we will be delayed, we'll be distracted, and we will be diluted, and the enemy will try to decoy us from our destiny. So the Bible says, you, Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are God's workmanship. With all honor to your mom and dad, you're not mom and dad's workmanship. You're not angel's workmanship. You're not the years of your experience workmanship. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works or divine works or works of God assignments. Not just signs and wonders and miracles, but into the business world, the scientific world, the domestic world, every part of the world. God has called us to arise as ambassadors of the highest government in the universe, authorized to call Rebel Planet, Earth back into the obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? We are here to leave legacies, and so confusion is produced when we have expectations that have no support in Scripture. And so, because the church has is generally around the world has slipped into the politically correct syndrome, the church has devalued scripture because some verses are just too inconvenient for somebody. And so if you devalue scripture, then you can pick and choose which one you want to believe and you just leave the kind of awkward ones out. But I believe you read from Genesis to Revelation and you read everything and you need not be afraid because you've got great Bible teachers in this house that can help contextualize the scripture. Never be afraid of the Bible. It's a beautiful book. And and no matter what it says and how scary some parts look, there is context, there is interpretation. So don't be afraid to read the Bible. Okay, amen? Don't be afraid to read the book of Revelation. It's not about the beast and the Antichrist. And it's about a victorious Jesus. So... There are expectations that are given sometimes because people not knowing how to lead someone to Christ in the biblical way, they use all kinds of unrealistic incentives like politicians do to get you to vote for Christianity. And then those expectations are setting people up for disappointment. And so counterfeit converts, as soon as they're disappointed, they just say, I tried Christianity, it's not so good. Amen. Amen. But if you build a substance of the kingdom into the people of God, if they get their hearts prepared by the, by the, by the right means to receive salvation, they'll be genuinely born again, and they will be ready to produce 30, 60, fold. And they need to be taught well. So let me look at maybe three or four areas that I see as major areas of confusion in the body of Christ. And it's just about in the area of thinking. So number one, there's a confusion about the way... Does God relate to us according to our circumstances? Or does God relate to us according to the greatness He's taking us into? Because God had a plan for you and me before we were born, and it was a plan of glory, an amazing uh, version of Christ, indelibly imprinted in His purpose for every one of us. And then we're born into a corrupted wisdom, and we become a perversion of our original version That God called every one of us into greatness. And in salvation, He puts the seeds of greatness in us. And He's called all of us into greatness. But we sometimes think God's wanting to relate to me according to the context I'm in. And so if the context isn't pleasant and if the context is difficult and the context is full of limitations and frustrations... We can't understand why God won't come and relate to us according to the context, because God will never relate to you according to your context. He will only relate to you in Christ Jesus according to the greatness He's calling you into. Can anyone say amen or give a shout out? This is Highway Church. I didn't come to the Presbyterian Church this morning. Is this the Anglican Church? Uh, Oh, no. This is Highway Church. eh? The Spirit-filled. This is the grace. Liberty people. This is the Liberty people. Okay, yay, yay. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach the way you're listening. When we're listening, Rob, we can't clap and listen at the same time. Listen, I'm married. I can see the dexterity of my wife. Multitasking is queen. She's queen. You can listen and clap at the same time. Amen. And then when Gideon, when Gideon was in a his whole world had been limited to that and restricted to that. And, you know, all of Israel had been destroyed. Their econo- the economy had totally collapsed. The Midianites were raping and pillaging at will. And Israel was hiding in caves. Their army was destroyed. And Gideon was a coward. And Gideon was afraid, and Gideon had no hope. Israel had abandoned the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and they'd gone after little gurus and false Jesuses and fairy Jesuses and fairy Holy Spirit. they had lost the position of the self-existent, self-sufficient God of immutable and invincible power who does not dwell in eternity, but eternity dwells in Him. They'd lost the vision of the greatness of God, and they'd gone after stupid little idols. And so as a result, the demonic just broke out a, a, against Israel. And there's Gideon, absolutely afraid. His world and his circumstances are, are restricted to survival, to making a little bit of bread. His whole focus is just survival for me and my family. I haven't got time for anything else. Just got to survive. Anyone felt that? I'm sure you have. We've all felt that. And God comes to Gideon and His opening words to Gideon. Is hi, mighty man of Allah. Hi, warrior. Hi, great general. And Gideon goes, hey, what kind of God are you, eh? Like, like are you, are you omni, 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 omniscient? What is what, what, what your problem, eh? What kind of God are you? You call me great warrior. I'm hiding in well that. I am the smallest in the smallest tribe in Israel. You calling me great? Maybe you should have a look at who you are. Because a great person cannot call an idiot like me a great, eh? Because yes, the Bible says Hebrews four that Jesus sympathizes with the feelings of our weaknesses, and he's touched and he empathizes because he's been tempted and always as we have, he knows what we're going through. But he knows if he relates to us only on the basis of our circumstance and our pain and our suffering. We're going to get stuck there. But when he called Gideon out into his greatness, all Gideon's needs were met. All Gideon's financial needs, economic needs, acceptance needs, fulfillment needs, purpose needs, family needs were all met when he responded to the call to greatness. The devil wants to shrink your world. God is wanting to expand your world and summon you to ever expanding horizons of influence and favor and fruitfulness. Come on, can you say amen? And we're never, we're never, I know for myself when I get into that self pity syndrome and woe is me and me on my mind. It's just so horrible. I don't know it feels like in a perverted way quite nice for a while. It's like so. <laughs> She said, well, Rob, someone's just lost their husband or wife. Yeah, I know that. That is a serious thing to walk through. But I can tell you, prepare for your own death. Rehearse your death to live as Christ, to die as gain. Don't just live for today. That's Buddhist theology. Live for generations to come. Live with eternity in your mind. Live with a sense of acute consciousness of an accountability to a living God. That you will give an account for, for have you invested all your talents or did you bury them? Because you got into a well and you wouldn't come out of that well. And you said, no God, come and make my world big inside this well. God says, it's too small in there, I can't make that world big. Get out that well. I will not relate to you according to the limitations of your circumstance. But I will relate to you according to the greatness I am calling you into. Amen? That's the confusion. Why aren't you coming up in me now, man? In this, now our question should be, my father, what is your assignment? What is the thing that ticks me and not ticks me, what, what, what is the grace space? What is the passion of my heart? What do I, what do I get frustra- frustrated about? Because frustration is an accurate indication of what you're called to do. Anything you're frustrated about, someone's doing it badly and you could do it better. Amen. And so God's given us big assignments. Everyone has a big assignment. First, to honor Jesus. And a big assignment to invest, to volunteer, and to support the local church. Make the local church healthy. We've got 60% of our church in Hong Kong all serving and all functioning. And coming an hour early before the service to half five and stir each other up to serve well. And I'm telling you, if you just come every week and you just observe and you want to be entertained and analyze, then you're going to get nothing, not very much. But if you say, what part in this church can I serve in a practical way? I don't want people who just can prophesy and call angels into the room and bring the glory down if they don't serve in a practical way. Jesus served in a practical way and did more glory miracles than anyone in this room. But he served in practical ways. And I believe that the first thing we need to realize is God's not relating to us according to the limitations of our circumstances. But when he talks, he'll say things like, Hi, mighty, whatever your name is. Hi, mighty Terry. Hi, mighty Keith. Hi, mighty. Hi, mighty Bill. He will call you according to the destiny. He'll call and resonate with that destiny that he planned before time began. And if you live with a sense of, I'm called to something great, you will get out of limitation and begin to expand into higher influence. I I can say that with boldness. I'm a little boy from Pantown. And here I am speaking to such esteemed people as a shy little introvert. In a few weeks' time, I'll go to Andrew Wormack's conference and I'll be speaking to a thousand pastors. And we go across the world and we're influencing, directly and indirectly, millions of people. Just little boy from Panta. And we're just getting warmed up and we're running through the nations even harder. And we lead a local church as well. Because God is not relating to us on the basis of a little circumstance. He's pulling us into greatness. And we're not confused about that. We don't deserve it. But we know He called us into great. Can you say amen? Put your hand up and say, I'm called to greatness. I'm called to greatness. God, I don't want you to relate to me in this little hole. Come on. I'll say yes to the call of greatness, and you'll pull me out of this little hole, and I will head towards greatness, and things will start happening. Secondly, deal with the issue of distraction. Because the church has been set up for a move of God. We need to be aware of what's our minds of thinking. See, problems are not the problem, problems are the distraction to deceive you away from receiving daily strength from God. If I did not receive daily strength from God, I would have had a nervous breakdown, a meltdown, probably could have committed suicide easily by now because the schedule we're running on, I promise you I couldn't have done in my 30s or 40s or 50s. The only reason I can do it in my 60s is because I've learned to the skill of receiving supernatural strength from God every day. The amount of mental health on this planet today is, 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 is heartbreaking, but I believe it's because Christians think the problem is the problem, but the problem is a demonic distraction to deceive you away from receiving daily strength from God, for they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll exchange their strength for God's strength. I can run, and Glenda and I can run and do stuff that you can't even imagine if, if you've never done it before. You have no idea of the schedules. You have no idea of the emotional drain and the hardship and walking past us through hell and back around the world. You have no idea. I don't want you to know. Be happy without knowing that. But no promotion comes cheaply. The world out there knows that if they're professional sports people, they push, they do, they train, they prepare. They don't expect an easy part. Grace does not give you an easy pass. Paul says, I work harder than all of you, but the grace of God in me. Amen. The workers are few, oh pray the Lord of the harvest, ascended. Workers come out of this little well and head towards greatness. Then, when you do that, distractions come. In the form of problems. How many of you know, as Howard Church is about to lift to another level, and everyone can feel it? Whoa, we, we're, this is a lift. This is a, this is a lift. We're going, to, we're going up. There's a supernatural next level. We're going to break into a next level. And then all hell breaks out. Everyone's budgies commit suicide. And problems. And children get sick and it's just like, I'm not glorifying the devil. He's illegal. He doesn't have title deeds to this earth. All authority is in in heaven and on earth is in Jesus Christ. When the devil does anything against you, it's illegal. You can't open a door to him. You're not in the old covenant. You could in the old covenant, but in the new covenant, Christ closed every door to the devil on the cross. I wish I could explain that a lot more, but believe me, I'm not a doctor. The problems come, but they are there to distract you from receiving strength from God. And let me tell you, it's very difficult to deal with multiple problems when you're getting weaker and weaker. So I say to people, listen, when you're, when you're under pressure and these problems, spend more time in prayer. I know for six months in Hong Kong, I had to pray at the least three to five hours in tongues continuously every day for six months. Because such pressure came to push us off the map. In Hong Kong. And I knew it was God's call for us to be there. Now you might not have time to pray for three hours. But I can tell you you can pray. You can pray on and off throughout the day. And Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Build your dome up. Build your strength up. Wait on the Lord. Build up. Your mind will be more and more sane. I've been to the place where I thought I'm losing my mind. I'm so exhausted. I pray in the Spirit. Have a good sleep as well. Pray in the Spirit. And suddenly my mind feels, we can do this. You get a strong mind. You need a strong mind. You see, the way to have focus is the key to success in everything. And focus means you do less and less, but you do more and more success. The less clutter in your life, the more you can focus and the more you can achieve. Can you say amen? amen. And, and you've got to have something much more important than focus before you can have focus. Before you can ever have focus, you have to have a deep abiding conviction of eternal truth. So if you think, I, you know, there's no guilt, I'm not, you know, I'm not under condemnation, but I would like to l- just lose a little, bit of the ex- a little bit of weight, like to get a little bit fitter, like to be able to run up steps without panting too much, and just, just be able to move a little bit more freely. It's important, you know, for my family and myself, over to myself. And so you think, you yeah, know, I'd like to lose a bit of weight, get a bit more fit cardiovascularly. If you don't have a deep conviction of value, you'll never focus on it. And the only way you're going to get a deep conviction of value on that is read exercise books. Go on to Google, and you start seeing the value, and you start seeing the the benefits, and as that increases in your mind, then you start being able to focus on it. I had no desire to focus on marriage when I was at Rhodes University. I mean, I told all my friends, all my family, not interested in marriage, I'm going to party. I wasn't a Christian at the time, and then Glenda walked into the room. And I was captured by a profound beautiful sense of value and focus from that second on marrying her. And that's why we're still married 43 years later, because I have a conviction of value about her and about marriage. But let me tell you, if you don't have a conviction of value, you will not be able to focus and problems will distract you so that you'll be deceived and stopped from receiving strength from God. And you're going to collapse somewhere and blame the devil. But you actually have the authority That God's calling you out of small circumstances into greater. And He's showing us, don't be confused by problems. Don't be intimidated by problems. They can be eaten up if you're strong. You pray in the Spirit. You draw up from yourself what would normally be mysteries to your mind. But as you're praying in the Spirit, it gets converted into your consciousness as practical wisdom and divine counsel. And you suddenly know, I know what to do. I've got the answer for that. Amen. You can't just sit in this little well. It's getting bad. It's getting worse. No, he's calling you out to greatness. Yeah, I'm going for greatness. Problems come. You can't say, oh, I was just trying. Now problems come. No, you've got to go, I can pray in the Spirit. I can, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to build strength into myself. I'm going to get people to help me and pray for me. I'll get advice. But I've got focus because I've got an eternal conviction about this. Can you say amen? see, if pastors, and it's not done in this church, but I've seen some pastors, they don't teach people the eternal conviction of generous giving into the local church. Seven covenants, and they all talk about tithes and first fruits. First tenth, you give it as just as a, it breaks poverty thinking off your mind. If you see, it it does, it does something about your faith that breaks fear off your, off your mind. And God says, how can you be trusted with true riches if you cannot be trusted with worldly wealth? It's nothing about money. It's an issue of faith. So if, if someone does not have a clear, strong conviction of value on bringing their tithes and offerings into the local church, if it's not a strong, it's not clear from Scripture, if it's not eternal value, then they may be persuaded to bring a tithe, but then they bring their tithe, but then on Monday the, the car has a crash or the washing machine breaks down, and their attitude will be, this stuff doesn't work. But if you've got an eternal conviction that giving, giving, is not about getting back, but you will get back. There's a blessing on giving. And under under the new covenant, God gives us seed to sow, and he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he that sows generously will reap generously. So that's all there in the New Testament. Believe me, tithing is in the New Testament. Let me ask you this. If something was wrong under the law, is it okay now under grace? No, no, just answer that one loudly. I need to hear. I need some hope here. But Christians are not thinking this through. You see, because thou shalt not commit adultery under law. Hallelujah, I'm free from the law. Hey, hey, baby girl, Glenda's not here. Let's, let's go, man. No. Adultery under grace is as equally wrong as under the law. Lying under grace is as equally wrong as lying under the law and so forth and so on. The law tries to get you to do the right thing with the wrong motive. Not the older brother in the parable of them. But grace gets you to do the right thing with the right motive. When you give into this local church, you are not doing it because you do know that your nine-tenths will go much further than your ten-tenths. That's a biblical fact. From the first day we got saved to 43 years later, 42 years later, Glenn and I have tithed of everything that's ever come into our life. Everything. Everything. So are you boasting, Rob? No, just, I'm, I'm talking about a born-again person. Because the scriptures are very real to you if you're born again. Because your eyes have been opened. Amen. So we've tith- We're not tired to get the blessing back, but let me tell you, we've never been in debt in 43 years of marriage. We own two houses, paid cash in, Austra- in, in Australia. We do not buy anything unless we can pay cash, six months or whatever. I'd rather go buy a second-hand car cheap and pay cash for it than go and pay money to the bank to borrow so much money for just so I can look rich in a big car that I owe so much money on. I'm not interested in those ego trips. I'm a tither. I want to give to the local church. I was giving 40% for about three or four years of our income as well into the local church. So I'm not afraid to give because it's broken something off me. But the blessing that's come, it's come not only in finances. It comes in all kinds of favor. You're not paying for it. You're not paying for those promotions but the, because there's something about a stewardship that those who are faithful with little are trusted with faithfulness in much. And the context was money, by the way, and the Pharisees were gnashing their teeth because they loved money, the Bible says, and they hated Jesus talking about giving. So if your teeth are gnashing, just go, don't let anyone hear them. But if you don't have an t- eternal conviction of stuff, the first time it goes wrong, you'll lose your focus. But i tell you what, Glenn and I have been through, the, as we tithe, things go wrong, washing machines break down, buildings burn up. We never go, oh, what's wrong with God? No, we, we're going to tithe where all hell breaks loose because we're not allowing problems to distract us. Because we've got eternal convictions of something because we are really born again. And so the Spirit of God can talk to us and keep us in biblical values. No matter what the circumstances are, we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep evangelizing. We're going to keep honoring local church. We're going to keep tithing and bringing offerings into local church. No matter what our financial state is, and we are going to keep receiving strength from God to be able to keep on doing this. Can you say amen? Because we are not confused about this. So people want the revival to come. Holy Spirit comes in like a mighty wind. People get saved. Friends, if the church is in elements of confusion, revival will not do you good. It will do you harm. If the wind of heaven blows on a bunch of very confused people on these simple issues, it will destroy the church. And this church is too precious, and this church has gone through too much. This church has paid a high price, and you're in prosperity, you're in blessing, and every year we come back, we see progress, and you're going forward, and you're advancing, and heaven is so applauding you, and and approving you, all of you, not just one or two, all of you are being applauded from heaven, and celebrated from heaven, because you have not compromised, you're stuck with the message of grace, you refuse to allow persecution to change you, and look at you, you're stronger, and stronger, and prospering, come on, let's give the Lord a clap for that. And then people are getting confused about how do you get your needs met. Do you know that God wants to meet all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus? He wants to meet our needs. So I'm going to try and summarize this to about two to three minutes. So let me quickly say this. That you cannot just take Philippians 4.19 out of its context of the letter and say, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You just can't quote that. Every promise is yes in Christ. But every promise comes with process. Okay, here's a silly example. But if I said, um, I promise you, you can get big biceps. I promise you. Now the woman would go, oh, well, I don't really need that. And, uh, but some woman would say, yeah. But, but, but if we said, I promise you, get b- big biceps, I've, that promise is a complete lie. You can't unless you have process. So I promise you to get back. So weird. How many have seen some weird pseudo spiritual Christians around? They've gone into pseudo grace. It's not authentic grace. And they're actually more weird than people who are legalistic. So you're so blessed because you're not pseudo grace and you're not under the law. You are growing as a healthy community with healthy mindsets. Come on, say amen. Now, I'm not flattering you. I'm telling you the truth. I'm very aware when these glory bunnies in the house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, I just want to sit in daddy's lap. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And to hell with the lost. Hallelujah. Oh no, they're not going to hell. It's universal. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now we must work. We've got things to do. Prepare for your death. To live as Christ. To die as gain. Leave legacies. Come on, give him a shot. And so you get these people that go, well, Rob promised me I could have big biceps. It's been six months now and they're shrinking. No, I can make you promise. I promise you, if you do resistance training regularly on your biceps, you will tear, tear muscle fiber. It will be painful. But as the muscle fiber heals itself, it will grow bigger with bigger capacity. If you want bigger capacity in the kingdom, if you want all your needs to be met, there is not just a promise, there is a process. And so that was lifted out of its context. It was written, it was the happiest letter written in the New Testament. Paul was writing it to the Philippians and he said, Hey, Philippians, thank you for supplying my need. You're the only church you, uh, Paul could have had an actual a bit of a victim problem there I'm in prison for loving Jesus no one's supporting me I've served all their churches I'm not raising an offering now okay so don't worry about it i definitely don't want an offering i am well supplied so don't give me another don't give me a cent okay so hear the message what an idiot it would be to try and get money from people that's not paul's heart he said but you were the only ones that supplied me in prison i thank you for it then he gets to Philippians 4, in verse 17, he says to him, It's not that I wanted your gift, but I wanted the credit to you to increase. And then, one more verse, then verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory that is in Christ Jesus. Not just supply your needs according to your needs, but supply all your needs according to His riches in glory that are in Christ Jesus. They They supplied somebody and Paul wrote that promise based on a process. But we had the super spiritual. Hello? Hello, God? I don't need to give anything because I'm under grace? It's not based on my performance, based on Jesus' performance? I love the Indians, my closest friend is an Indian, okay. In Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, so. It's going to use a bit of entertainment to attract people for, for how far the time going. There are too many Christians confused thinking God relates to them in their circumstances, but He's actually relating to you because He loves you according to your greatness He's taking you into. Too many Christians are getting confused by, wow, when we're just about to break through into another level, all hell breaks out. Those problems are not the problems. The problems don't wear you out. What wears you out is the problems succeed in distracting you from receiving strength from God. And if you have eternal convictions, you will continue doing what is right, whether you feel like it or not. Because we're not feeling-based. We are faith-based people. And the feelings will follow. Whatever you believe will affect your emotions. But don't let your emotions affect what you believe. So, the way you meet your needs in the kingdom is you do not focus on your needs. The last thing a new creation person desires is to have a narcissistic obsession. If you don't know what a narcissistic obsession is, it's a person wrapped up in themselves and people wrapped up in themselves make very small parcels. You're too scared to ask them how they are because two hours later, they just talk about this. They never, never ask questions about anybody else. And if, if they do, and you think, and you're so stupid that you try and answer the question, within five seconds they've cut you off and they're telling you a greater story about what happened to them that's bigger than your story. Narcissistic obsession never gets its needs met. I've been in this job for 40 years and I've found people that just run after themselves and how to get their needs met and they don't get any needs met and they are barren and broken and empty The way in the kingdom you get your needs met is, number one, seek first the kingdom. Put that first. Put God first in your finance, in your time. Put Him first. Secondly, look from your grace space, your gifting and calling. Look and focus on meeting other people's needs. See, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm El Shaddai. I will bless you and make your name great, and I will bless the nations through you, Abraham. If Abraham had said, hey, God, I like the first part, eh? You bless me. Very lucky, eh? You just bless me. But I don't like the other part about I must bless other people. I don't want to bless other people, other people's languages, their cultures, their colors. I don't want to go there. I just want the first part. No, that promise came with process. I will bless you to make you a blessing to nations. Not just upon town, to nations. If I, if Abraham said, "I just want the first part, not the second part," guess what? No blessings would have flowed. God said to Jonah, "Go to Nineveh. I'm about to judge them. Go warn them. They may repent." Hey, don't want to do that, God. Don't want to go meet their needs. I'm in grace. I go where I want to. Hallelujah. No, you're a disgrace. You're not like Jesus at all. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. Imitate Christ, Paul says, as I imitate him. We, we, we're to walk like Jesus. We're to be holy like Jesus. We're to, we're to resist sin like Jesus did. Resist everything that's evil and ugly. And you'll find your witness gets more powerful out there. Come on, say Amen. No, 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 Lord. I'm not going to Tarshish. And we know God resists the proud. When you just focus on just meeting your needs, you're going to find the living God resisting you. Yes, but you're in grace. Yes, but He gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. Whether you're saved or not saved. It's God's nature. Are you proud? I resist you. In love, of course. Tarshish, I'm coming to Tarshish, wind blowing. Jonah, if he was a charismatic grace person, not a pseudo grace person, he would have jumped up in the boat and said, Hey, you win you. You're the devil. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. The wind would have spoken back and said, I am Jesus and you cannot rebuke me in my name. It is Almighty God resisting you, Jonah, because you're obsessed with narcissistic desires to just meet your needs. I repent. Okay. Turn around. Off to Nineveh. Now, now he has a point of confusion. Are you still with me? A few minutes. He has a point of confusion. Okay, God, I will repent when I'm just living for my needs and I realize you're resisting me. Then I can't rebuke you because you're bigger than your own name. And so, Lord, I'll I'll turn around and I'll go to what you're calling me to do. Then we think, okay, now that I'm going to where I'm called to do, the wind of God will be behind me. Confusion. Everyone thinks every time I'm in the will of God, everything be so good. I'm going on a missionary with Rob and the church to China. It's going to be so good in China. It's going to be so lekker, man. It's not always lekker, man. Sometimes you're pooing in your pants. Sometimes you're not sleeping. Come to Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, Kanifastan. Come to these Muslim nations with us and see what it's like. It's not always wind blowing behind you. Jesus said to his disciples, "Get in the boat, go to the other side, meet the needs." Hey, hey, charismatic church, hey, hey, we're in the will of God, in the boat. Aren't you coming, Jesus? No, I'm going up on the mountainside to watch the circus. Okay, Jesus, you said go to the other side. It is the will of God. Hallelujah, we're in the will of good, pleasing, acceptable will of God. We are going to to meet needs now. Yay! Halfway across, the wind is opposing him. So if you're out of the will, living selfishly, there's a wind opposing you. If you're in the will of God, loving God, putting the kingdom first, wanting to meet other people's needs, there's a wind opposing you. Don't be confused. God is not an author of confusion. This is a God wind because the person's narcissistic. This is a devil's wind. And this wind you can rebuke in the name of Jesus. This is a small defeated being with this wind. But he exaggerates himself and he's got all kinds of antics to dramatize and make himself look powerful. He's finished. He's judged. The verdict of the high court of heaven said it's finished. He's disarmed. But he's a criminal. Now, it says they were straining. They were actually straining. You hear pseudo Grace preachers say, I'll never strain. I just live in rest. I not want to slap those people. Because you know they lie. lying. They don't live like, oh, I'm in such rest. Hallelujah. No, they do that in front of you, but be, they're panicking. Rest does not mean inactivity. Rest means activity governed by peace. And we got a hang of a lot of activity to do, man. He didn't say to the disciples, sit in Jerusalem in the upper room, stay there for 2,000 years in the upper room on daddy's lap, and I'll send the Holy Spirit and he'll evangelize the world. Holy Spirit cannot evangelize in a vacuum. He needs human partnership. We actually have to get feet on the ground. Amen? So Jesus leaves them, and they are strained, and they are straining. Now, many Christians in the revival... When this is happening, they think we're in the will of God, but there's a wind coming against us, it's straining. Oh, we're not allowed to strain, we're in grace. Yes, strain because you're going to build capacity. Strain in the face of demonic opposition. Many Christians in confusion go, this can't be God. They turn the boat around and go back. And they live their lives eating food, passing it through their body, taking up space, breathing air, and then they die with no gain. And nothing was touched by their life. All the cross, all that Christ did for them has no gain. Except they go to heaven empty handed. No. You know that you know when what you're doing is not selfish. You're not marketing yourself. You're not self-promoting. The master said to you, go to Hong Kong. Leave a big church in Australia. With a big salary and lots of resources and profile, leave it. Go to Hong Kong. Hey, God, is another God up there? <laughs> so there, where the white people die, they don't survive in that Hong Kong city. Hey, eh? Yeah, we're going to go there. We're going to obey because we're born again. We are prisoners of Christ. Once we're prisoners of law, now we are prisoners of Christ. I have no options but to do. And he said to them, go to the other side. And if he said, go to the other side, what, who, who cares what kind of wind's coming against you? Keep straining it against. Keep straining against it. Our church keeps straining against the demonic wind. And then suddenly, Jesus, gets in the boat. Now when Peter got out the boat, the storm carried on. But when Jesus got in their boat, the storm stopped. It keeps training in the right direction, our way. And at the right time, Jesus will get in your boat. And you will have bigger biceps and bigger capacity, bigger competency, and bigger consistency. So when revival comes, you're not confused. Revival's not coming to just meet your little needs in a little circumstance. Revival's calling you into greatness. Don't try and make revival just meet you here. Before the revival comes, respond to the call to greatness. Watch problems. Don't be unawares. When they come, realize, okay, this is something we've got to deal with, but don't let it distract me from receiving strength from God. Let me keep my focus because of deep eternal conviction it's more than just about the message of grace. Friends, there's a lot about the kingdom. We also have to have lots of deep eternal convictions about. Like winning the lost. And many others. Amen? And that third, the, th- the third one is how you get your needs met. Is you don't focus on your needs. You focus on meeting the needs of others. And I believe that spirit is already in this house. It really is already in this house, and it's growing. And lastly, and I don't have time to go into this one, so I'll just tell you what it is. It's don't be confused about the issue of fear. Fear is a big thing. So Paul's writing his last letter to his beloved spiritual son, Timothy. And Paul, that's the last, it was 60 years after Christ. It was Paul's last letter. He's about to be executed by Nero, the Roman emperor. had put a death sentence on Paul, and he was executed Uh, for his love for Jesus just a little while after this. And he tells uh, Timothy about how Christians have betrayed him. He faced brutality in the face of Alexander, the metal worker. And he said, "No, no, no one stood by my side, but the Lord stood with me as a lion. And he says, I won't hold it against them. This is a gracious man. He's in prison. He knows he's going to be put to death. And he talks in that letter about he's run his race He's been poured out like a drink offering, and now he can't wait to receive the crown. There is rewards for being faithful on earth, in heaven. And so he says to Timothy, my dear son, calls him in another letter, true son. He says, I have no one like Timothy, for everyone else looks after their own interests, but Timothy looks after the interests of others. I can send Timothy to you because I can know when he gets there, he's going to have credibility and integrity. And he says, Timothy, stir up the gift that you received through my laying of hands. Don't waste that visit. I brought came all the way to you and I put my hands on you. Don't run around to every ding-a-ling that wants to put their hands on you. Actually keep someone's hands off you. But I, as your spiritual father, put something in you and you've allowed fear To dim the power of that gift. And now you want a resident apostle that's there available every week to just lay hands on you. But actually it's time that you stirred up the gift that you've already received from my hands and get out there and deal with the problems by the gift I imparted to you as your spiritual father. Can you say amen? Use what I've been given, that's the maturity. The next verse he says, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a strong mind. Next verse he says, and Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, and don't be ashamed of me because of my chains, but join me in sharing in the suffering for this gospel by the power of God." Wow, there's an apostolic invitation to Yahweh. Join I in suffering for this gospel by the power of God. So fear never comes from God. The first force that hit Adam and Eve when they were deceived was a spirit of fear and they hid from God and started fighting each other. People that are afraid, they hide their talents and don't multiply them and they lose their talents. People that are not afraid step in and they take risks and they invest with their talents and they invest two and they get four and they invest four and they get eight. And you can go to eight to a hundred to a thousand talents. I was born with a one talent preaching gift, but for 40 years I've kept investing it, investing it and upgrading it. And God is giving us more and more influence around the world and we're going to Keep investing. You invest your talent. Whatever God's called you to do, keep investing it. Keep taking risks. Don't be afraid. He's not a hard taskmaster. Your sacrifices are seen. He knows what you're doing because the church is not built on the gifts of a few, but on the sacrifices of the many. Fear will shut you down. It'll make you insecure. Insecurity is not a sin, but it's a sin to hide your insecurity and then make an issue an issue, but it's not really the issue. It's just that you want attention or to complain about something because you're feeling insecure. It can destroy marriages, church teams, families, businesses. Insecurity is a spirit of fear. And we all need to not be confused. God didn't give you that spirit. Insecurity, there's no excuse for it. We can be free from it. We don't need the healing and soza courses for 20 years. Your grace is so powerful, it shouldn't take 10 years to get you free from insecurity. When you're insecure, be honest with God. Say, God, you didn't give me a spirit of fear. You love me. You approve of me. You accept me. My identity is secure. I don't have to be defiant. I don't have to be insecure. If I am, I just say to my wife, Glenda, I want to talk to you about something. I'm just feeling insecure. Then she can hug me and know that the subject is now talked about in transparency, it has credibility. But I get, I get so angry when I get hijacked. Someone comes to me and they've got all these complicated issues and I'm trying to answer the issues and I find out later those aren't the issues. They were insecure. And so then they're jealous or envious or critical. But if they would just monitor their own moods, monitor their own hearts, guard their own hearts, and make sure when they feel that sense of insecurity, Father, you did not give me a spirit of Imagine, Timothy, my spiritual father is about to have his head cut off or be boiled alive. And it could happen to me because I'm associated with him. Don't be ashamed of me, Timothy. Stir up the gift you received by the laying in the pants. Because when you get rid of the spirit of fear, then all you've got left is power. A man's You've got power. Love for people and a strong, decisive, mind that is not confused. Stand and lift your hands for a moment. Just stand and lift your hands. And just thank God that He called you to be at the climax and consummation of the ages. He chose the exact time and place that you should be born. He chose your color, your language. Everything about you is beautifully designed by the glorious creative one. You are God's poetry Every one of you, every one of us are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. If you've never been convicted by the Holy Spirit of the unbelief, if you've never been made conscious of sin and realized, hey, I didn't come to Christ because I realized I was a criminal against a holy God and His law absolutely investigated me and I have no hope of winning this case but someone called Jesus came and took the punishment took the justice for me because all crimes in the universe must have justice there cannot be a justice vacuum South Africa can't have a justice vacuum, people have committed crimes in this nation by land steal or whatever else they've done stealing hundreds of billions of dollars they must face justice but with us before Christ under the law we're judged and found guilty but there's justice in that the Lamb of God took all our punishment away and the sacrifice was far greater than the judgment and if you say Rob Rob today I want to make sure I'm saved just where you're standing you say, Jesus, I bow my heart to you, that I'll be new creation today. I'll be made alive. And for the rest of my life, produce 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit. In Jesus' name.